welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the 49ers lose an absolute heartbreaker to the Green Bay Packers. They fall to 2-1 on the season with two very important division games on deck over the next two weeks. And with me this week, ignoring all performative post-game handshakes, it's David Newman. Okay, explain. I need, I need an explanation <laughs> on this one. I feel like that's that's like secretly my goal every single time I throw the third one in is just to see if you know what's happening in the zeitgeist. Uh, apparently, Shanahan went baby Harbaugh when he went up to Lafleur post game and did like a like a walk by barely handshake kind of thing, uh, and so people were asking uh, Lafleur if you know he if if Shanahan was extra icy if maybe the the call about Aaron Rodgers has something to do with it because you know people wanted some conflict they wanted extra drama this is a Why watched not? game everybody was there and 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 LaFleur was like you'll have to ask Shanahan love it love it let's do it i'm sure they're uh, this you know won't be the last time they meet again so let's keep it spicy yeah no they it was fine uh Shanahan didn't want to lose he was ultra competitive LaFleur knew that they're all boys it's fine they are a okay. I mean, they, they've been around each other drama. long enough. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you think we they want understand. the drama. It, this feels like a lot of people want some kind of catharsis after this game. They want they want something. They want to understand what's happening. They want to understand what's going on. So that's what we're going to try and do over the next thirty minutes or so. Is we're going to talk about what happened, why it happened, and and what really this means for the team. Whether you should worry, pull the ripcord, raise the flares, call the season toast. Uh, I don't think any of those are true. I don't think any of those are true. I think this is, uh, you know, start off just right off the top. It's a close game. Goes down to the wire. Close games can be coin flips. And the coin just kind of came up Packers. And it came up Packers for a couple of very specific reasons. But sometimes they don't go your way. Sometimes it's like the Seahawks and you get that stop. Sometimes it's like the Packers and you don't. And uh, like the Seahawks last uh, in 2019. Um, but yeah, it just, it happens. This is why those close games regress to the means. I do think it's important to note why it happened. And maybe there are some things the Niners can do in future games to help prevent this from happening again. But I don't think the Packers are a bad team. I think they have a hall of fame quarterback and I mean, it just showed. Did people come into this thinking the Packers were a bad team? I think there was a little bit of that happening because they got beaten week one and there was the whole thing about LaFleur saying that it was an embarrassment and they were embarrassed and Rodgers came out and was like, I, I wouldn't use those words exactly. Um, and and the friction, you know, the preseason and, and Rodgers being traded, I think people thought yeah. this was the team in disarray. I mean, hell, in the preview, I was talking about Joe Barry's defense over here like they were the 0-16 Lions because they weren't able to get pressure. They weren't able to do lots of things. And so I, I feel like people thought this was a vulnerable Packers team. I thought they were a vulnerable That's Packers fair. team. And, and, and then they very much were not vulnerable, but they weren't vulnerable for a very, very specific reason. And that reason has a ridiculous man bun. <laughs> it does. I, I don't know if I feel that it's the best look on them, but you know, you do, I get it. You go through, everybody goes through a man bun phase here and there. I, no, who am I to, you shouldn't speak ill. <laughs> there are very few people who look good with a man bun. George Kittle is one of them. Most humans are not. Most humans are not George Kittle. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah. let's get into yeah, some yeah. of the, the, what happened here, because especially early on, the Niners looked like they were going to be in for it. And the, the Packers had a very, very specific plan and it was a plan that worked, and it was a plan that mostly, I mean, at this point, everyone should have seen coming with the injuries at corner. They just spread them out. 
and they basically tried to get as many corners as they could on the field and then let Aaron Rodgers pick one. It's a great strategy, and it worked. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think when when you look at at what they tried to do, I think the, the big thing was was definitely get the ball out quickly. Um, I mean, it was uh, the Rogers time to throw in this game was absurd. It was like 2.1 seconds. And uh, I mean, they did a lot of screen stuff and it was a lot of, um, you know, even even when it wasn't the screens, it was like stuff that was really short, like around the line of scrimmage, like in that under five yard uh, range. I want to say he had uh, 13 attempts, five yards or less from the line of scrimmage. So it was oh, a- here looking like Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a a big part of of their attack and their plan uh, was to get the ball out of his hands quickly. But even on the stuff, I mean, I think the the thing that you see that's different, right, from Garoppolo and, and what the 49ers have been able to do, because obviously they've had times where it, it very much seems like the goal is to get the ball out of Jimmy's hands quickly. Um, they can still test you downfield doing that. And I think that was what they did successfully. Right. So it was. Let's stick with the quick game, stick with the screens and not get impatient there. And then when we get to third down, especially when we get into some of these situations where we throw, we're going to empty it out. We're going to going to look to kind of, like I said, spread things out um, and and kind of try to get some of these guys isolated because the 49ers have been going heavy man coverage on third down. They've been using a lot more cover one on third downs. Um, that's also the time that they're going to be most likely to blitz at, at this stage. Um, and, and so that gets them into some of their zone pressure packages, which is going to be more match based. And again, you have fewer defenders that are back there in coverage. So it still ends up in a situation that's that's very similar to man coverage from uh, that standpoint of like guys are going to be isolated. You can be fairly certain which you know 49ers defenders are going to match up with your guys based on formation and, and those st- sort of things so uh yeah I, I think they look to spread them out get them in that kind of stuff and and then um they got some of their better receivers i think in the slot and then got them on vertical routes and they were able to get those shots down the field while also getting the ball out of ha- rogers hands quickly right so it was just the pass rush didn't often have a chance to really make a, a true impact because that he just didn't have it that long. It, empty was Green Bay's most common formation type. And this was, like you said, particularly on third down. The Packers went empty on 12 snaps, which was 19% of the time. Eight of those were on third down. And they seemed to run early because they they knew the Niners had a tendency for man coverage on third down. That's where they were going to try to pick them apart. And especially early on, they did just that. Um, but even when, uh, and just to give more, give you more ridiculousness, right? You think to yourself, okay, how good was Rogers? Um, I think when uh, on on those third down plays, on empty plays, he was seven for nine for 159 yards, one touchdown, and four big time throws. Jimmy Garoppolo does not have a single big time throw on the <laughs> season, and you've got Aaron Rodgers throwing four just when he goes to empty when you know he's going to throw unless he's going to run, right? And and you talk about the different like the different QB tiers and you think okay, what is like the quarterback everyone wants to have? What does the Aaron Rodgers have? It's when you know he's going to throw, he can still execute. He can still do it in obvious passing situations with literally no one behind him, with no help. And I mean, and obviously his line's got to block and he's got to have receivers that can catch and whatnot, but he's it's empty. You're going to throw. And and I don't know that that, you know, when it comes down to it, Niners have a quarterback that is able to execute in those types of situations consistently or often, which we're going to get to in just a second. 
But even when the Niners forced Rodgers, um, I mean, I don't know if they forced him to hold the ball, but even when he held the ball longer than two and a half seconds, he was still able to carve up the Niners basically when he wanted. Yeah, I, I think like, right, that's kind of the, the shitty part is it, it ultimately didn't matter uh, kind of what they did, right, in, in terms of making him hold the ball or, or not. Um, it, he was still able to find success. And I think a big part of that, because I, I really don't think from a coverage standpoint, things were just falling apart, right? I, I don't think it wasn't like guys uh, were, were just running completely free and, and you had a bunch of busts or, or just like guys getting completely roasted. Like for the most part, guys were were in the right spots and, and they were at least in, you know, a reasonable position on, on most of these throws. But I mean, that's kind of Sometimes the other a little too close. Sometimes maybe a little too close on uh, on a few of those plays. Um, but I, th- I think that's kind of the, the main or like, I don't know, maybe not the main difference, but one of the many differences between some of those upper tier quarterbacks like Rogers, right. And, and kind of the middle of the pack guys. And that's that he can throw those guys open, right? Like, because he can be more precise with the ball location, um, that there are plays where Devonte Adams, when you look at it, you look at it, you just freeze the play the moment that he lets that ball go. And you're like, if this was Jimmy Garoppolo back there, he's not making this throw because it doesn't look open, right? But he throws it away from the coverage. He, he throws it in a spot that can lead his guy away from that defender and and give him a little bit of space to work with. And you just don't see Jimmy make those type of throws, right? He, he's just, he's got to see it. It's got to be open. And uh, he's not, if, if guys are covered down the field, he's just not taking that chance. He's not taking that risk um, to try and, and give his guy a chance. And, and so I think, yeah, that's kind of the big thing is like, there were, there were moments in this game, which we'll get to for Niners offense where, you know, th- there was just nobody there though. And, and I think that's something that stuck out in this game is because Rogers, yes, they were throwing the underneath stuff. They were doing a lot of things that we've seen from the 49ers, but the difference were the ability to generate when they wanted to those plays down the field. You think of the the final drive and the first big completion to Devontae Adams on that final drive was it, it was such a good throw because Fred Warner is literally in about as perfect spot as you can ask a linebacker to be in on something like that. We talk a lot about how linebackers need to get depth when they're getting to their spots. And I mean, Fred Warner's like 20 yards down the field. And you've got Aaron Rodgers, who knows he has to basically drop it over a linebacker who's 20 yards down the field and in front of the safety, and he does it perfectly. And and everyone just kind of almost like expected it. It's it's ridiculous that that's a play that they he knew he was going to Adams, and he's like, I'm just gonna flick it over. I'm just gonna do that. <laughs> and and it was and it was perfect and it was a great throw. And and that's what he's literally beating the coverage with his throw because there are so many other balls that Fred Warner gets to or tips, but that ball just had such good arc and good loft that it was, it was perfect. Yeah. And, and like that's, uh, and, and you know, look, I, I get on one hand too. It's unfair to compare a lot of guys to Aaron Rodgers, Who's one of the best to fucking ever do it. Right. Like, especially from a, just a pure physical ability standpoint. Um, I, I think there are a few guys that are in that league, right. In, in NFL history. So, like, yes, he's going to be able to do some crazy shit that, that not a lot of guys are going to be able to do. But I think there are, you know, other guys in the league, other quarterbacks who can make these more difficult throws, who are a little bit more aggressive in terms of how often they're willing to take chances down the field. 
And uh, yeah, I, I think you see them being a little bit more willing to trust their ability and and put ball in these t- balls in these tighter spaces. Um, and and I think like yeah, when you, when you can do that and you can do that successfully, uh, it's it's such a huge boost for your offense because you're not always going to be able to scheme it up. I mean, sometimes you're going to run up against a defense that's well prepared. Um, you're going to run up against a defense that just has really good individual players. And, uh, yeah, like it, you need to be able to, to kind of take some chances and trust that your guys can win some one-on-one matchups. All right. We're going to get into some of the game plan decisions over the course of the game. But before we do that, we've got a brief word from our sponsors. This week's pod is brought to you by TickPick. 49ers football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find 49ers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need is your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find a better price for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. If you're looking to get tickets to the next time the Niners wear their throwbacks, week seven against the Colts, maybe Trey Lance's first start. TickPick is the place to do it. Visit TickPick.com slash Rivals today and use the promo code Rivals to save $10 on your first order of 49ers tickets. That's TickPick.com slash Rivals Promo code rivals, both of them are the same to make it easier for you to remember. Let's get back to it. Let's let's talk a little bit about the some of the schematic things that happened though, because one of the things that we talked about pre-show or, or in the preview show was the 49ers having an advantage in the trenches. And yet that didn't seem to have much effect for Aaron Rodgers. He wasn't hit often, he was only sacked once. Nick Bosa did basically destroy the entire offense uh, early on in the game, but then after that, he kind of fell off. D4 didn't do a whole heck of a lot, um, a whole heck of a lot. And and it was curious that with such an advantage in the trenches, with your third, fourth, you know, fourth string tackle, that you're not able to capitalize, even though that is your defense, defensive strength. What did Green Bay do to blunt that pass rush? I mean, I think it was uh, a number of things that Nick Bosa is going to have to get very familiar with right and it's i think kind of unfortunate so i mean there's there's the the play design on some things right like we already mentioned in terms of screens and and just general quick game stuff where they're getting the ball out of their hands very quickly and it kind of doesn't matter what bosa or anyone else does doesn't matter how quickly they beat their man like the ball's already out by the time they have a chance to close right and uh then you're see also seeing some wrinkles and we see this um in in empty and it's not the first time this season that we've seen this kind of stuff but they are chipping bosa heavy like um and and it's just he's gonna have to yeah get used to it and also like other guys are gonna have to step up right like he's gonna get that attention i mean so basically they're they're when they're going empty or sometimes it's not always empty but they're having someone aligned tight to the offensive line tight to the formation um that's just gonna give them a little chip on their way out. And and sometimes it, it doesn't look like uh, they're even all that concerned about getting out in the route, right? Like they're not a, a significant part of the, the route concept. They're going to be maybe be uh, a check down late. You saw this from, I mean, Philadelphia did this as well multiple times, right? Where, where they basically uh, would chip them off the edge and, and like, yeah, the guy would kind of run maybe a late drag route or something like that. Like he's going to try to, to show himself late for a, a check down option for Hertz. But, 
Um, it, it's just like he's very clearly like primary purpose on this play is to knock Nick Bosa on his ass and, and hope he doesn't see it coming. Right. And so, uh, yeah, we, we definitely saw that from Green Bay in this one. One thing I thought that was super interesting that I don't know how often they did it. I noticed it a couple of times, but I noticed that the person that was aligned that was set to chip Bosa actually didn't chip him outside. They stayed inside and waited for Bosa to move inside and and was going to basically be there and let the tackle basically overset. And and Bosa is so good at taking the inside if your tackle is going to overset and go to the outside. And then when he does go back inside, that's where you've got the extra defender. That's where you've got like the tight end or someone who is basically waiting for the counter there. And and you basically have that person not quite double teaming him, but they would still hit him and then they would, you know, kind of move out into the route or do whatever they needed right. to do. But they weren't just kind of doing the let's just go ahead and hit his shoulder every now and again and just keep going and do it over and over and over again. They attacked Bosa in different ways to make sure they had something for uh, his outside shoulder and his inside move, which is something he loves to do and did very, very well. So they were not going to let Bosa beat them. And then on top of that, you have the quick game. Rogers gets the ball out quick. Rogers gets the ball out on quick game concepts. And, and it just goes to show that a quarterback can blunt pressure and good scheme can blunt pressure. And it, it is, you know, there's this whole, you know, coverage and, and, and pass rush debate that goes on that they're both interrelated. We're not saying one's better than the other inherently, but this is how a quarterback can really nullify your pass rush. A really, really good one can do it. And, and that's what Rodgers was. And I think it was re- a really good scheme and a really good just game plan from the floor to also give Rodgers some help and let him cook. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, once you see that sort of game plan be effective, right, against a team, I mean, other teams, other future 49ers opponents are going to see that on film. And uh, again, you're already starting to see these things in terms of how teams are, are going to try to account for Bosa, right? Because I think you can, if you're you're suddenly making him, right, a, a, an absolute focus of what you want to do offensively, right, and how we're going to attack this defense, okay, number one, we need to account for Nick Bosa and, and trust that uh, we can make it so where he's not completely wrecking our shit, right, <laughs> and, and, and eliminating what we want to do offensively. If you're able to commit, like if you just decide that, okay, we, we are rather going to be, rather than focusing on getting all five guys out on the route, we're going to commit to like, constantly having somebody that's available to chip him do these other things that give him these different looks that even if it isn't all that successful in terms of uh you know how how good that chip block is like if it's if it's getting him to hesitate if it's getting him to think right like that's time that he's not going after that tackle and and getting to the quarterback and so you have that part of it but then what that does is is it also allows you to then slide your protection the other way so now you're not getting so because one of the big you know benefits if you're thinking about this from the 49ers defense perspective, right, you have Nick Bosa over there. You're hoping that they're going to slide protection his direction, and that gets some one-on-one matchups for you on the backside for guys like Armstead or Kinlaw or Ford or whoever it is, and and they can then have a, a greater chance at success because of these one-on-one matchups that they get. Well, now if suddenly you're you're committing an extra blocker to Bosa, but you're still sliding your line away from him to those other guys then you're not getting those same sort of opportunities. And and so, yeah, I think if teams are going to choose to go a little bit more protection focused and protection heavy with how they're designing their offensive game plans, it is going to, uh, yeah, put the the spotlight on kind of the back end and that back seven and their ability to cover people. 
Now you get to what D'Amico Ryan's plan was, because you've got a lot of people who are thinking that this, the defensive performance, you know, what's different. A lot of the pieces are there, but the coordinator is very different. Did they play Rogers different in this game than they have in the past? And Chris Collinsworth was very vocal on the broadcast saying that the Niners were playing pretty obvious man coverage. And he said that repeatedly. Um, and, and from someone who studies the, 49ers coverage at 3.30 in the morning uh, on the day after the game. Uh, I ask you, my friend, is that is that true? Do the Niners play obvious man coverage? And did they do that in this game against Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think um, they the 49ers are not a team, and I don't think this is a D'Amico Ryan-specific thing. I think this was, was true last year. It was true under Robert Sala while he was there. They they don't disguise a lot. Um in the same way that you like every team has has little disguises, right? Like nobody just sits pure static, um, you know, in, in no movement before the snap and, and all that stuff on on every single drop back. Um, but it's it's certainly a far cry from teams like Baltimore, right, who are uh, guys are moving around constantly. Right. And, and the picture that you're getting before the snap doesn't always tell you a whole hell of a lot about what you're getting after the snap because they're going to drop guys from weird places. Um, and they're going to get into these unusual rotations and, um, it it just, yeah, it gives you a lot to think about. The 49ers are not one of those teams. They're, they're going to be more from the approach of we're going to be more simple in that element and hope that we are then more assignment sound and we have fewer miscommunications. We have fewer busts and we are just generally more cohesive back there. So we're going to trust that even though we, you may know what we're in, we're going to be able to kind of out execute you with that is kind of their approach. And so, yeah, I think when, when they're in man coverage, it is clear they're in man coverage. It's clear before the snap it's, it's, they're going to have the one deep safety back in the middle of the field and they're going to have everybody else up on the line of scrimmage and they're going to be up directly over the guy they're covering. And, and that's just kind of how they do it. And when they're in zone, there's not a ton of disguise there either. I mean, you're going to get every once in a while, a little too high to, to single high rotation where you see one of the safeties drop down, uh, and kind of sit in that hook curl area. But that's pretty, again, like standard stuff that, that everybody does. It's, it's not, you're not really fooling anyone, right? When you do that, you're not trying to be like tricky and disguise anything. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think they are very much from a coverage standpoint, defensively, a, what you see is what you get. And, and I, I don't put that on Ryan's that was there before him. Yeah, overall, I think the Niners did play a combination of cover four. Um, the last, especially the last drive, they were playing a lot of cover four. They played man early, but I do feel like Ryan's came off of some of that man coverage stuff early on, especially once it got beat a couple of times and they went more to cover three, cover four. It was a game plan that you would expect against someone like Aaron Rodgers. We, we talked a little bit about whether or not you would see a mix up of things, playing a little bit of man um, to, to basically not give his players space, especially early on, and then, you know, play more quarters and more, more zone stuff. That's exactly what he did. I don't feel like his game plan was necessarily terrible. It's just the problem is he didn't necessarily have the people to execute. You're running thin on corners. And then you've got poor Josh Norman, who's coughing up blood um, because he has a lung contusion. And you've got, you know, Dante Johnson, who was out for a couple of plays. You've got Damodor Lenore playing, Lenore, sorry, uh, playing in the slot and going outside. It just, it, it was, it is a discombobulated back end. And the way that gets fixed is if you get pressure, but the Packers offense had a plan for that pressure and they executed that plan and they were able to nullify that pressure. You put all that in a bag and, and you get to a point, honestly, where even despite all that, 
the Packers still were only up two scores, like 10 points going into halftime. And the Niners had a chance to get the ball and turn it around and do the old Madden double up, or as Shanahan likes to call it, lap the team and get within two scores and that's in, or get within a score. And that's exactly what they did. And, and they end up taking the lead despite all of that. The team claws back, the team gets back into it and they take the lead. And, and a lot of it was almost, it, it was rocky. It was up and down. And, and this is where you get into just basically Jimmy Garoppolo almost being a, a Rorschach test for a lot of fans. What you see is almost like what you want to see. It's like some people will sit there and see the almost game-winning drive. They'll see the throw to the touchdown throw to Kyle Juszczyk for, you know, seven yards or whatever. Um, they'll see Wait, his Tell EPA. me that is not a play that people are throwing out as a great Jimmy Garoppolo play. Not not the not the play itself, but the fact that he was able to get the team down there okay. and and execute and and get that play, you know, and still get the touchdown. Um, but th- they'll point to his EPA, right? His expected points, his win loss record, I hate that his so quarterback much. wins, um, and and the game winning drive. They'll see what they want to see, and they'll say, you know, Jimmy is. What would they do without Jimmy, right? And I think that does paper over some of the the real concerns with the way Jimmy Garoppolo played in this game. Um, and, and I do think that that is, I mean, the, there's lots of stuff we're going to get to it here, but I think it's just so interesting to see that that is, that's seemingly the bifurcation with people are like, he is amazing or he's trash. And it's like, sometimes he's got some pretty good plays. Sometimes he's a complete bonehead. And that means he's usually just kind of somewhere in the middle. I mean, he's in the bottom of that middle. Uh, like I, I think it's just, there's, there's too much now we're building up too much evidence to continue pretending like Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback like it's it's just not there uh the EPA thing I I hate EPA is a team statistic so EPA tells you how successful the offense is and while yes we generally know that if you're successful offensively quarterback in most cases is is gonna have a, a decent amount to do with that right like he it's just like it, there's no way around it, right? The quarterback is going to be uh, a big part of, of what you're doing offensively. But the 49ers are, are in a rare position. They're one of the few teams that they have an incredible play caller and, and designer of offense in Kyle Shanahan that creates other uh, opportunities for this offense that most teams do not get. That There are very few play callers in the NFL uh, that are able to match what he's able to do for this offense. And so... When you're looking at things like EPA, they're they're great metrics for looking at the offense, but they are not player specific metrics. And using EPA to, I mean, it's no different than than win loss record, right? Like, even if the quarterback is going to be a big part of of your success overall, he's not the only part. And and you have to to dig deeper and 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 then just like kind of looking at that stuff and understand the, the dynamics of this offense specifically and why they're successful. And they are not successful because they are getting good quarterback play. They are successful in spite of their quarterback play. And, and that is just kind of where they are right now. I mean, it is we are, we are at a point where it is the rare game that Jimmy Garoppolo is good and, and makes good throws. Like, that is the outlier. That is no longer the, the, what is happening the majority of the time and then, yeah, we get the stinkers here and there or whatever. Um, like, no, he's he's most of the time, the majority of his dropbacks, he's a below average quarterback. 
and every once in a while he puts it together. And I think that the the team that is what should illustrate this pretty plainly for you is the LA Rams. The LA Rams were at times efficient with golf. Their EPA was generally high, but through three weeks with Matt Stafford, they've reached a complete other level. They are, I mean, and, and the Tampa Bay defense is good. It's really, really good. And they're over here throwing up 34 points on that defense, and they're winning by two scores. And, and Matt Stafford maybe still has room to grow in that offense. And, and that is the difference between having an individual player who is helping to elevate the people around you and not just throwing up a ball to Debo Samuel that he basically has to channel Anquan Bolden in order to catch. <laughs> um, like, it, it was literally, I got Anquan vibes all through that game. Um, and, and it's, it, 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 what sucks is that it doesn't mean that he's as bad as like, I don't know, uh, pick your shitty quarterback and insert name here, right? He's not Drew Locke. He's not some of these players, but there is a spectrum of players, uh, and there's a spectrum of good and he'll flitter around that kind of like sometimes okay, sometimes bad. And every now and again, he'll have a couple of good throws. Um, and you just can't lose the forest for the trees on looking at the overall team and thinking that is a proxy for the quarterback. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's just, it's tough because the, the other part is that the, the defense didn't seem like it really respected the pass a whole hell of a lot. I mean, Joe Barry's defense looked prepared and they looked prepared for the route concepts. They looked prepared for basically flying up the field. And whenever you saw a spot route, a hitch route, uh, uh, a stick route, an in-breaking route, they were coming up the field and they were getting to the ball because they knew that it was going to go short and it was going to go to the middle of the field. And that's because that's what Jimmy Garoppolo can do. Yeah, I, I think like when you uh, when you look at what Green Bay was able to do defensively, um, that was was definitely my like overriding takeaway was was it felt like they were prepared for what they were going to see from a route concept standpoint, you know, in in that passing game. And there were just a lot of situations. I think, you know, one of the best examples was the the interception that, that Garoppolo threw and. Uh, it was a, an identical route essentially against the exact same coverage as that big touchdown that Kittle scored in, in the regular season game in 2019 against Green Bay. And uh, it, it was just you could see Jimmy just kind of expected it to be there. Like he didn't think that that Jair Alexander was going to come from the backside and, and be of any help there because, hey, last time they did. Jair Alexander was nowhere to be found, right? Like he was off fucking around on the backside, like on the back out. So it, it was just like things like that, where, where it was kind of like everybody, I, I think like, and I don't know, maybe it's, it's more Jimmy just kind of expects this, which hard to blame him to some degree, but like you expect Shanahan is kind of gonna put you in the right spot, right? He's going to do the things and uh, do what he does. And, and he's going to get some guys open, but I, I think you see that so often, Jimmy, is that there's not a lot of um, recognition of the unexpected after the snap, right? If if something happens, like he did not see the backside of what was happening on that coverage at all. And like, you know, some of it is is tough too. Like it was a fucking outstanding play from Alexander. Like the, yeah, I was the break say, that, that is, he made. That is definitely a thing from Alexander that was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna go find work and I'm gonna sprint out to actually get to that ball. I mean, that was yeah. a fantastic play by Jerry Alexander. Very, very good. Um and and but I think you see it on in other times too, right? Like in other like that's uh, I, I think a, an example I point to because it's one that 
everybody watched, right? Everybody saw multiple times and uh, you get all the nice replays from it. So I think it's fresh in everybody's mind. But there's there's plenty of other examples where, yeah, you just you can see him kind of freeze when he doesn't get what he's expecting. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's just uh, I think it's tough when when you have a quarterback that isn't willing or or is unable to like make the more difficult throws, right? Because there were there were plays like because of how prepared Green Bay looked and, and how they were on some of these route concepts, the throws that were there were sometimes just the really difficult ones. Like there was this one uh, play, I, for, I forget exactly the moment in the game, but Debo Samuels on the right-hand side runs a, about like an 18-yard deep outbreaking route, right? And he beats Alexander. Like he, he makes a nice move at the top of the route and, and gets a little bit of separation there. And there is a throw available there but it is not a throw that is in Jimmy Garoppolo's arsenal. And so it's like he can see it, but he's opposite hash. This is a far throw. Like he he doesn't have that in him. Like he can't make that throw and he knows it. And so he doesn't. But then everybody else is covered. And so then at that point, you you freeze right and, and you got nowhere to go with the football. And, and by that time, the rush is getting to you. You got to like look to scramble out and, and try to figure something out. And But most times the play is dead. And, and so I think you see a lot of that type of stuff where it's just like if it's not the the first thing that Shanahan has drawn up, right, that first read isn't there and he isn't open uh, and, and Garoppolo doesn't see it and it doesn't feel good to him, like it's just not happening. Like there, there's not a lot of backup plan after after that for him. Yeah, and games like this are just tough because everyone wants a throat to choke. Everyone wants to just say it was Garoppolo's fault. It was D'Amico Ryan's fault. It was the fact that the Niners don't have, you know, an interest in signing good cornerbacks or can't seem to hit on one. It's, you know, and the thing is, it's just all those things. It's not individually one of those things that ends up costing the team the game. This is just a team that was probably equally matched in a lot of other ways. And it's a close game and close games can be coin flips and they turn on the margins and the they have a really big margin in Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and there was, you know, the, we'll talk about the fourth down decision here in just a second, but the, the Packers really picked at the good scabs, right? They spread the 49ers out and got to their corners. The pass protection for the 49ers along the interior wasn't great. We haven't even talked about Kenny Clark. Dude had six pressures against the interior of the 49ers uh, offensive line. Alex Mack from the first snap. I was going to say already had his hands full. <laughs> Dude had his way with Alex Mack a few times. Yeah, it was he just he had it was immediately, immediately. Yeah. On the first play, he already had Alex Mack a couple yards into the, the the backfield. And it was, you know, unfortunate. You had a little bit of a twitch from the right guard, and then that triggers Kenny Clark, but he's not offsides, and they didn't call false start. And it just, it was a lot of things. And so you've got uh, a really good interior defensive lineman that really, that got six pressures over the course of the uh, of the evening. And, and then you've got Shanahan, who's leaving points on the board by not going for it on fourth and one, because he is, by his nature, not aggressive in those situations. Although I find it super interesting that he in, uh, I think it was either today's press conference or the post game press conference said that he had planned to go for it, but he thought that Trey Sermon lost two yards and because it was going to be fourth and three and not fourth and one. Now he wasn't going to go for it, but in his mind, he had two plays called. He was going to go for it on fourth and one uh, or on third and one. And then if he didn't make it, he was going to use the use check quarterback sneak play. And, and that's the second play that he had queued up in his mind. But now all of a sudden on fourth and three, 
he isn't going to run that, but he couldn't see it because his vantage point is from behind the defense is where he likes to stand so he can see what's happening with the defense and call his plays accordingly, that he didn't see where the yard marker was, didn't know where the, where the offense was in space, decides to send the punt team out there, and it's a call <laughs> that he regrets. He explicitly said he regrets it. Um, I mean, all of that makes better. sense. All of that makes sense, and I'm glad that he regrets it because hopefully that means that he's learning, except for the fact that fourth and three, you still go for it. Sure. Yeah. I mean that, but also like he's not the only fucking one there. Like there's a reason that you've got the headsets on and that you're connected with all the coaches up in the booth and, and like you have that whole team of assistants. You're telling me nobody was like, Hey, it's actually fourth and one. It's not fourth and three. Like that is, is fucking mind blowing to me. I don't understand how that happens for an NFL. That's actually what that's actually what the quality control coach is is there to do. So when in in the flying coach podcast this offseason where Shanahan and McVeigh are talking to one another, they talk about how they all got their start as quality control coaches and that's what they do. Like they're on the headset with the coordinator and the head coach saying, "Hey, what about this? Hey, what about that?" to the point where I think McVeigh would be arguing with them about calls when he was the quality control coach and Shanahan had to tell him and LaFleur to shut up. Because they were arguing about stuff while he was trying to get his call in. Yeah, like uh, completely understand. Like Shanahan being the head coach and and the play caller is is got a lot on his mind, and I, I think completely understandable that he misses that, doesn't see the right spot, um, and and whatever. But the the fact that that information can't get relayed to him, and you end up deciding to to make a decision like that because you don't have the correct information. Uh, is yeah, it's just fucking wild. I, I can't believe that. Yeah. So it is, it is one of the, I think even then did, did you learn anything new in this game or did you, are your prospects or thoughts about where this team is going to be at the end of the season changed? Because in, in the preview, we said, this is a playoff team. They, you know, uh, may have trouble going for the division, but they are definitely in the mix, especially with an expanded playoff spot. For me, I, I don't know that I learned anything new necessarily from this game that I didn't know before. I think it sucked that they lost it because it was very winnable. But I still do think that close games against good teams against a good quarterback are coin flips. And sometimes you win them and sometimes you lose them. And, you know, they're going to get one maybe later on in the season. And this was just one that they didn't get. And and that's okay. It sucks and it hurts, yeah. especially, to you know, that visibly to lose it on the last second field goal. And those last two plays were just daggers. It sucks. But the Niners are still two and one. They've got two games that they've got to play that are really, really important, that are more important than this game against the Packers. Um, and, and we're going to preview that one here next. So we won't spend a lot of time there. But I don't know that that I learned anything new or more than I knew going into this game. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I mean, I think obviously these games, I, I think we'll we'll certainly know a lot more about where they're at going into the bye, right? I, I think going up against two more quality teams, um, you know, going into that bye week and, and kind of how they perform there, what the offense looks like specifically, I think is going to be, uh, is going to be big because I, I will say that going into it, I did expect, I expected the bar to be a bit higher for this offense. Um, and, and so I, I figured that, you know, obviously we knew that the, the run game, and this has been the case for a while, like the run game was going to be something they relied on. And it was going to be hit or miss, whether it was efficient, but they were going to be able to generate some big plays. And, and it was just kind of be there and it was going to be part of their offense. And then I, I did 
feel like we were going to get a little bit more out of this passing game. Like it, it just, I, th- I think the passing game has really struggled and it just, um, it's, it's tough. It is, it is tough to feel like they have a great chance in these close games. Cause while yes, like absolutely we know these games decided by a, a score or less, um, are, are often like said, coin flips and, and it can be the difference of, of one or two plays, right. That, that makes the difference in that outcome quarterbacks drive a lot of that too though right like uh Aaron Rodgers creates some bounces here and there for his team and and we have seen um you know some evidence of of quarterbacks at the the kind of top end right they do tend to do a little bit better than the rest of the NFL in in those situations and I think when you have a quarterback and you have a, a conservative head coach like Kyle Shanahan like I I don't know that they're necessarily they're not maximizing their chances to win these close games. And, and so it, it just, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm very worried about the offense. I want to see more from them in these next two division games for sure. Um, I did, I guess, learn that Kyle Shanahan fucking hates Trey Sermon and will do anything and everything to go out of his way to get creative uh, in the run game to not give him the ball. Like, the, the extent that they went in the run game uh, to just do random creative shit to not just hand him the ball was like fucking wild. Like the juice at, at running back stuff. I remember that was like something that we talked about at the time that he was first signed from Baltimore because he he did that a bit more at Baltimore. Like he would come in and be the back on third down because a lot of times they were keeping him in to protect. And uh, so you would see him there as like, a better pass protection option and then would maybe be checked down and, and stuff like that. And and so he kind of expected to see that a little bit um, when he came to San Francisco and it just hasn't happened, right? It like hasn't been there. And then suddenly like you get a couple injuries at, at running back and rather than going to your what second round, third round pick, whatever the fuck he was uh, you're, you're going to just put juice back there. You're going to be designing uh, you're going to put fucking Debo just straight lining up at running back, not even talking about just the reverse stuff and the jet sweep stuff that you're doing with him. You're getting, you know, these, these crazy handoffs to Kittle. Uh, yeah. Like just going out of his way to not give Trey Sermon the ball. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. He's just, he's big on trust and he or Bobby Turner just don't trust Sermon for one reason or another. Maybe it's pass protection. Um, he had a blown block and pass protection gave up a pressure. Um, maybe it's something he also looked kind of slow, he like he looks slower than even I remember his college tape. He's not a burner. Like he's never been a right. burner. That's not his game. But he was he was in a phone booth really quick and really explosive. And and I mean we said in the, in the in the the scouting report that we did in the preseason that he had some, you know, a little bit of that Frank Gore deceptively kind of quick to him. But he just didn't look like he was up to the same athletic level as some of the folks that he was going up against uh, against Green Bay. And so, I don't know. There's the, Oftentimes stuff comes out after the fact, you know, it's, it's going to be a next season's preseason pieces where it's like, you know, oh, Trey Sermon came into camp and he was, you know, you know whatever. He was X, Y, Z. And, and that's why, you know, he was in the doghouse and now he's in the best shape of his life. That's, you know, that's what's going to happen, you know, offseason 2022. So we'll see what's going on with yeah. with him. Um, and you, you know who else is out of the doghouse, though? And, and we'll end here is Brandon Ayuk. Turns out that guy is a real wide receiver. And, and maybe his hamstring magically healed. They hit him with that magic spray. 
from uh, from from FIFA. They took it. They borrowed it. They said, you know what? Hit him with the spray because he ran more routes in week three than he did in weeks one and two combined. And Trent Sherfield, I think, had two snaps over the course of the game, even fell behind Mohamed Sanu, who's a third wide receiver. So whatever Brandon Ayuk is doing, keep doing it. He was finally featured in some concepts. He caught the ball. He dropped a touchdown pass. He did. Which sucks. Yep. Uh, that was bad. That one hit him in the hands, and that was unfortunate. But overall, it looks like he's finally into a place where, where that offense is going to um, feature him a little bit more. And so welcome back, Brennan Ayuk. Yeah, I, I think uh, it was it was nice seeing him out there more. Um, it was nice. I mean, he was getting open. And there were even plays. I mean, it was it was kind of funny. There was one uh, where they run this kind of mirrored route, right? It's one of the the many route combinations they have where they start just the one receiver on each side of the, the field and um, they kind of run mirrored routes, right? They're on the same route on each side. And it's uh, in this case was like that one, it's, it's kind of like a deep curl route where basically they sell like they're going to go vertical and they kind of bring it back down on the, um, on the curl. And you have Ayuk on the left side and you have Debo on the right side. And uh, the way the underneath coverage rotates, they like all just kind of end up opening to Debo's side. And you see Garoppolo just going there the whole way. And he ends up, I mean, he makes a, a, a good throw. This is one, like one of his better throws. He gets it up over the top of all those guys. But like if you look to the other side, if he would have went to a, like it's just wide open. There's nobody over there. But like the safety who's like deep on top of it. Uh, and there's just like a ton of space to be able to throw it to. And so. Um, yeah, there's, there's still some situations like that where you would, you would hope that, that he's getting a little bit more of a look, but yeah, I think he, he looks good overall. Like he's, uh, he's getting open and I think he looks shifty, right? I think he looks good. Yeah. I don't, I don't see why he was in the doghouse to begin with, but it's nice that he seems to be getting out. All right. Last question before we go, cause we've already, we've already gone long, but we need a catharsis. We needed to just get it out. It's okay. Um, Quick update on when you think Trey Lance is going to come in this season. First question, does he come in this season? Second question, when? I mean, if he doesn't, I'm going to be shocked unless Jimmy Garoppolo just absolutely has a very significant turnaround. I mean, he is just not giving you enough. Um, And so I think I don't know that the point is that that Trey Sermon is going to come in and immediately give you those things. But at the point in which Garoppolo is is down there far enough to where he's not like, I mean, he's playing as well as a lot of like the rookie quarterbacks uh, on other teams, right? On other shittier teams, like he's barely above that line right now. And, and so at the point in which he's not giving you much on the high end and he's still making a lot of the mistakes and he's missing throws, like that's kind of what you expected from a rookie Trey, uh, excuse me, Trey Lance. Um so like, why not let him get in there and kind of go through those lumps, right? And you're going to very likely get the high, some of the high-end plays to help offset that, that you're not getting from Garoppolo right now. Right now, you get the, you're getting the turnover-worthy stuff. He's putting the ball. I mean, he's getting, honestly, very lucky that they haven't had more um, turnovers from, from Jimmy Garoppolo's poor plays. Like, they've been very Yeah, what is it there. at this point? The, the players that have a, a worse rate are basically all rookies. It's like Zach Wilson, Trevor yeah. Lawrence. plus like uh, uh, and then Jameis Winston. Winston. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's been ugly. So I think, yeah, he's got, it, at some point, if that continues, he absolutely, you need to get him in there. Um, and I, I think the, the question I think is the why. I, I think still think the bye. Yeah. 
I still think the buy is it, especially if the Niners go one and one in these next two games. At that point, they are very much, uh, which is a very real possibility with the quarterbacks that are playing in, in Seattle. I mean, look, Jimmy Garoppolo's no Kirk Cousins. He's not going to dunk on the Seahawks uh, like the... Like the <laughs> And, with and, that, and, you're, and you wonder, you wonder why it's going long. You keep setting up bullshit like that. <laughs> okay, we'll end it. I'm gonna uh, exit the music. <laughs> Tell about the Patreon, David. <laughs> oh God, is that really it? Uh, Patreon.com/slash/betterrivals. Go there. It's it's a lot of fun. It's uh, you know this, but all the it time. It is. You know what I will say? Uh, the Discord has been a lot of fun. It's um, been great. I'm I glad get we did it. A metric shit ton of less work done now during my day, but it's been fun. I you know <laughs> ignore my daughter a little bit more, and and that was probably <laughs> needed to happen anyway. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's been great. Again, you're getting uh, you know lots of extra fun stuff. You're getting the live streams that you could be on right now as as one of the Patreon elite. You're getting the the weekly video breakdowns that we do uh, that are up on Wednesdays. Um, lots of lots of fun stuff. The Discord again is is worth a loan. So Patreon.com/slash/BetterRivals. Head there, buy us a beer, get in while it's still cheap. That's all I'm saying. You never know when those rates might might go up. You can follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals, and uh, I'm on the Discord. Let's together help David ignore his daughter just a little bit more. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.